This is History Man 1781, a project of ekbarns.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. We are in the top of the Joseph Kershaw House in historic Camden, South Carolina. On today's podcast, we have L.T. Williamson, an everyday man talking about an everyday soldier in the Revolutionary War. Welcome, L.T. Uh, thank you. Man, you have a fascinating story and, and stories, more than one, uh, about your quest uh, to locate and identify your ancestors uh, from the Revolutionary War. Tell us, uh, start us off with uh, how you started this quest. Uh, originally, I was looking to find ancestors, and I was fortunate to find a lady named Rose Markham, who gave me all the information about the particular gentleman we're going to talk about today, Josiah Markham. And I'd like to make sure I give her the, the credit for a lot of the research and information that uh, we're going to be talking about today. That is fantastic. The uh, the it is interesting. If you look hard enough, there's always a historian within the family somewhere that can tell you everything. You yeah, know? yeah, I think so. Uh, it sounds like uh, someone who has a great deal of information for your family, and I know that was a, a great uh, find for you. Uh, so tell us a, a little bit of how, how you started uh, on this. H how did you find her? You know, how did this all transpire? Well, initially, I started with my main surname, of course, of Williamson. And as I traveled through finding those ancestors, I decided to try to find the maternal lines. And that led me through the Markham line. I uh, did some research on Ancestry.com and I saw where Rose had posted a considerable amount of information about this Josiah Markham. And uh, I asked her to uh, share with me what she had and we got to talking and was able to confirm that my direct ancestor was indeed Josiah Markham through some of his ancestors, I mean, his descendants. So, so where was he from? Uh, actually, what I have is in Bedford County, Virginia, was, is the originating place. Uh, Fincastle County, Virginia, uh, New Kent County, all of those counties kind of changed names over the, the period of time. It's all the exact same location but of course they changed names so we're showing him as as Bedford County during that period of time was what the uh, county was called. So Bedford County in Virginia is located on the western side of Virginia is that that's, correct? That's correct yes. So we're talking about even rest, west of Roanoke we're, we're yes. talking yes. Uh, over towards what is present day it's West Virginia yes. and, yeah. and that sort of thing. The Fincastle area was kind of like a no man's land from the from a colonial standpoint. The British didn't even want yes. that that part because they were setting that aside for the Indian uh, yes. uh, nations back there. They had to, well, and we'll talk a little bit about this, I'm sure, later on. But they had obviously the Cherokee up there. Mm -hmm. They had the Shawnee, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Mingo, Mingo. Yeah. Uh, and several other Wyandotte. Right, right, and. Um, so that area, from a colonial standpoint, the British would come in and they would make these treaties with these Indians and they tried to uh, uphold those treaties. But what they had was they had uh, 
communities of people, especially the Scotch Irish, and, and I, I know I'm talking too much here, but they would no, have the no, Scotch Irish come down when they when they when they left England or they left Ireland uh, because of all the uh, uh, religious factions and, and, and the issues going on over there. They came to Philadelphia and in Charleston and came up the Great Wagon Roads and just kind of went west right. uh, to, in Fincastle and and areas that you're talking about were were these areas where a lot of them settled in and it became, yeah. became a place of contention. Well, you know, the, the uh, area there is, is very similar to what they had in, in Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and some of the Germans that were in there as well. Right. And this family has some ties to, to German ancestry as well. So about what time do you track your ancestor uh, to being over there? This particular ancestor we're talking about was born in 1759. Okay. And he was, uh, obviously his father already had a, a large estate there. So I don't have the actual birth date of his father, but he was one of the younger ones. So in, in the story that I have, he obviously had older brothers that stayed on the estate after the mother died. I see. But Josiah's mother died when he was 10 and uh, his father just, it was just more than he could handle for a 10-year-old. And he seemed to be a bit of a wild spirit anyway. And his uh, sister-in-law, and I, I kind of get the impression his sister-in-law and his wife were very close. And uh, when he made the decision that he couldn't handle him and he needed a mother, he sent him... Uh, to, to live with his brother Thomas and, and his sister-in-law. I see. And uh, during that time, he was uh, bound as a uh, an apprentice to his uncle Thomas Markham. I see. And in it was in a way of uh, putting some structure into Josiah's life and, and uh, getting him on the path, so to speak. And Josiah had uh, wanderlust and was a very rambunctious, adventurous young man, from what I understand. And being 10-year-old, he did not really enjoy being put in a situation of uh, strict regiment. And uh, he ran away several times and was brought back. And uh, he eventually ran away for good. And he hooked up with some, some people that were uh, already frontiersmen and uh, he became part of uh, a camp that was part of the Lord Dunmar's war under Colonel William Campbell. He was uh, following uh, Captain Tate, and uh, they obviously found him useful in the camp as, as a camp aide to the officers. And, and he, he was about what age at that time? He was about 15 at that time. Right, okay. All right. So he was a little too young to officially be called a soldier. And um, they basically took him under their wing and let him stay with them, travel with them. Uh, he fought with uh, the group or, or at least was with the group in battles against the Mingo and the Shawnee tribes. And uh, he apparently became very familiar with 
quite a few of the officers under this William Campbell, who was a colonel. And um, this was all done under British rule. Uh, at that time, they were part of the Brits trying to clear certain areas of the Mingo and Shawnee so that the settlements could be created. I see. And uh, it was a back and forth bit of war for some time. Then sometime later, this William Campbell that uh, Josiah's life and William Campbell's life were, were intertwined for a number of years. And uh, Josiah served as the aide, like I say, to, to several of the officers. And during Lord Dunbar's war, let me re-say that, Lord Dunbar's war, that's not an easy thing to say, they were uh, under British governance. And then Colonel Campbell broke openly with the British government, and uh, he established his uh, revolutionary credentials in 1775. And uh, Campbell was one of the 13 members of the local committee of safety to sign the Fincastle resolutions. So the Fincastle resolutions, do you know anything about those? Um, it was the early expression to support armed resistance to the British crown. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more details to that that I didn't follow into. Sure. Um, for I, our, if you don't mind, for, yeah. our, for our listeners, uh, they had across the colonies, across the area. They had uh, resolutions from a, a lot of different communities. They had uh, the Mecklenburg resolutions, uh, Fincastle resolutions. I think Wilmington had a group of about uh, uh, 25 to 40 that, 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 that signed a similar type of resolution uh, where they were all just kind of, you know, coalescing a, an idea of freedom, an idea of liberty. Uh, among the signers of the Fincastle resolutions were a lot of the backcountry leaders, inclu including Campbell, as you said, but also an Evan Shelby, who was the uh, father of Isaac Shelby, who was uh, also at some of these battles that, uh, especially Kings Mountain, uh, but very uh, involved in the upstate. So your ancestor, Josiah, was with Campbell, who was, like you said, established his revolutionary credentials uh, at a pivotal time in our history. So, I, sorry I did that to you. Oh, that, no, that's fine. It's, uh, it's great to make sure the listeners understand what we were talking about. Campbell actually received a, cam, a captain's commission in the Virginia Provisional Forces and was assigned to the 1st Virginia, Virginia uh, Provisional Regiment, and it was commanded by Patrick Henry. And this was in the autumn of 1776. Uh, Campbell found uh, enough time away from soldiering. He actually courted, uh, courted Patrick Henry's sister Elizabeth, and they were married in 1776. Uh, you know, the Indian dangers and the Tory dangers on the frontier led Campbell to request that he be released from Continental Service to return to southwest Virginia to help protect that area. And his request was granted October 6, 1776. At that time, Josiah kind of went on his own with this Captain Tate that he had befriended earlier, and uh, they went into North Carolina, and uh, they found a group in North Carolina militia, and he was uh, enlisted as a drummer 
at age 17 under Major General Richard Caswell. And they were marched south into South Carolina in support of Gates in the Battle of Camden in 1780. And that's kind of what made this a very interesting story for me. I had moved to Camden and had lived in Camden for some 20 years before I started this family research. And I had never been to the Battle of Camden. I had heard about it. Right. And uh, when Rose, the lady, supplied most of my information on this line, and I got to talking, she was saying, well, you know, you're in Camden. Have you ever been to the Battle of Camden? And I said, no. And she said, well, you know, you've got a direct ancestor that was in the Battle of Camden. So that brought history to life for me. And as I started researching him, I thought it was very interesting that one of my ancestors had basically risked his life to free an area that would eventually become Camden, South Carolina, where I would come and raise a family and children and grandchildren and, and, and uh, spend my life. It kind of comes full circle for it, you. It, it did. You know, it, it was a, it was a kind of a, a, an awakening moment, right. if you will. I'd never been much of a history person until I started doing uh, family research and genealogy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it was just, you know, one of those stories that just kind of led me to find all these other Revolutionary War soldiers and, and ancestors. But uh, it, it was uh, humbling at the same time to know that this young man, as just a teenager, faced, you know, British forces that were well-trained and all, and he was just a, a young teenage frontiersman. And uh, he risked life and limb, so to speak, and uh, I don't mean that he was a hero by any means or, or commanded any battles, but like we said, he was an everyday soldier. Yeah. I think that the hero title, just like the histories, are reserved in many respects for the, for the officers, the generals, the, the majors, the colonels, that sort of thing. You never hear about your ancestor, the, right. the, the, you know, the 16, the 15, the 16, the 17, the 18-year-olds, the 20-year-olds yeah. who were just, you know, growing up, growing into manhood, and, uh, and you never hear about that. That's why I find this, this particular story so fascinating, and, and, and uh, it's actually affirming to the American story. And uh, so where did he go? He certainly didn't die in Camden. Where did he go no, from there? No, after, after the uh, horrific defeat here in Camden, they uh, all... Uh, for our listeners, when we say horrific defeat, you're, we're not, you're, you're not just mincing words or, or just, uh, just saying that. I mean, it was the worst defeat on the battlefield for the American Revolution. I mean, a, a whole uh, left wing of the American army that was made up of militia North Carolina, Virginia militia, they just, they, it, it just crumbled yeah. in, the, in the face of uh, the bayonet charge. Yeah. And there was so much smoke and cinder from the cannon and the musket fire that the Continentals that were in the line, who the, 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 the soldiers that had fought uh, up north in, in some of the epic battles up north who were there at Camden, they never even knew that their left wing that was exposed, their left flank was exposed, and all of a sudden they got rolled up too. It was, yeah. it was, a, it was a, a terrible day for the American forces. Yeah. So, what, what happened, so what happened from there? Well, as, as they retreated to North Carolina, 
Josiah was obviously shaken, not sure exactly what he should do, if he should return to Virginia, uh, try to return to family, uh, what he should do. And uh, he found out that uh, Colonel Campbell had been pressed back into service and was forming uh, a militia group. They were going to march south again to resist uh, Ferguson's advance, and they were gathering up in the back country to make this march. So he again joined forces under uh, Colonel William Campbell. This was in September of 1780, shortly after the Battle of Camden. And uh, they marched to the Western North Carolina front to confront this Major Patrick Ferguson. He was a British Army officer who commanded a uh, force of Loyalist militia. And there were several units of riflemen that had assembled to confront Ferguson. And Campbell was named the overall commander. And he supported all the colonels of the various units who would meet the council every day. He commanded the group of officers that led the charge up the mountain, uh, the bloody charge up the mountain at King's Mountain. Uh, so where was your, your ancestor in the midst of all of that? Uh, he was, I believe, still under the command of Captain Tate. Okay. Um, he didn't say specifically in his information to his son Stephen where a lot of these papers came from. Okay. Uh, Stephen Markham was the son of Josiah Markham, and he wrote down his father's adventures, so to speak, in his papers that he released to the family after Josiah's death. And uh, he talked about this particular battle. Josiah told him that uh, it was like being in hell in this battle. And, you know, I would have thought that the Battle of Camden would have been more devastating to a young man. But there again, I don't know how much actual carnage he saw in the Battle of Camden because there was such a, a hurried retreat and, and getting away from the British soldiers. And there weren't a lot of uh, uh, injuries in all under Campbell. Uh, they suffered 28 killed and 60 wounded. But when I heard that, you know, I related it to the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that we hear in soldiers today. Right. You know, he's, he, he, he said that it changed him forever. And um, he, he often relived those days of, of King's Mountain's battle. So I, I thought that that was an interesting part of the information that I was given. And, um, so where'd it go from there? Uh, Colonel Campbell uh, and the Virginians with him returned home to southwest Virginia after the King's, Metal, uh, King's Mountain battle. And uh, they were again faced by the threat of attacks by bands of Cherokee and, uh, and the Loyalists in that area. And uh, Josiah wintered near his uncle Thomas Markham's estate, but was still not ready to settle down. And when Nathaniel Green reached out for, in all directions, for reinforcements, uh, which included a series of urgent requests to William Campbell to bring a thousand mountain riflemen to his aid, 
he once again decided that that was his calling and he joined up with Campbell again. So this is after Kings Mountain. Yes. This is uh, after Calpins. Right? Yes. The, yes. The turning point. Correct. He this was is, not in in the Battle of Calpins. Right. 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 So this is this is Cornwallis following Nathaniel Green, and it's the race to the River Dan. Correct. And meets Nathaniel Green at Guilford Courthouse. That's correct. And uh, and Green and you're saying that Green sent out a a message to Campbell, bring me some people, and your ancestor was one of those guys that came. That's correct. He had asked uh, Green had asked Campbell to supply a thousand riflemen, and due to some of the things that were going on in their homeland with the Shawnee, the Cherokee, and the Mingo, plus the Loyalists in that area, uh, Campbell was not able to provide. A thousand men and he was only able to bring 60 men to reinforce green and this was in 1781 like you said at the battle of guilford courthouse so march 1781 mm -hmm. so we're, we're talking um just after winter probably the first break of frost that sort of thing and and, and a lot of these guys are needing to put the crops in and that sort of thing so um that's interesting. Okay, then what? They, um, they the, the group arrived and they had a skirmish at uh, a place called Wetzel's Mill. And uh, two days later, they were uh, united. And uh, Green had them assigned to something called the Corps of Observation. And that was with Light Horse Henry Lee. Uh, they participated in the Battle of Guilford Courthouse on March 15, 1781. After those initial battles, Campbell and Lee reunited on the left bank of the army where they uh, became separated for a time. You said and the left bank of the army. What, what, the left flank? Left I, flank I'm assuming that yeah. it was the left flank of Green's army. Okay. And they had this Corps of Observation, I have not found... A lot of information about that okay. apparently it seems that it was like a reconnaissance group that's my speculation and military speculation that it's a, a, a reconnaissance group okay and uh, they had some minor skirmishes and would fall back and eventually were reunited reunited on the left and joined the left flank of the battle green and his army retreated the Brits claimed victory, but it was a very devastating victory for them, and it was kind of uh, uh, retaliation for the Battle of Camden, I, I feel like. You know, it gave them an opportunity to uh, to lay away a lot of, of, of British soldiers, and it uh, really impacted Cornwallis's troops. Of course, it, they went to Yorktown from there. Yes. And, uh, I mean, he, he was... Uh, if I recall correctly, Cornwallis suffered another third or fourth of his army was just decimated, and he was already struggling for supplies, and he needed to hook up with uh, his his counterparts in the north, and they were they were hoping to do that at Yorktown. So he skedaddled over to Yorktown, and of course that was the end of of him there. Did did your ancestor follow him to Yorktown? No, he did not. Uh, he stayed with Campbell. And uh, after that battle, they uh, moved back into Virginia okay. for support against the 
Domingo and the Shawnee and the uh, protecting the, the Western Front, if you will. Green had been so impressed with Campbell's men that came to support him that uh, he gave him a lot of uh, public praise and uh, he personally wrote Campbell to uh, congratulate him and uh, thank him for his contribution that he gave uh, his group permission to return home. So they retreated back to the confines of Virginia mountains and uh, that's where Josiah ended his military career at age 22. Uh, he had been given his discharge at Hillsboro, North Carolina. He moved back into the, the mountains there of Virginia and started his part of uh, claiming the, the grounds and the lands and stuff there that eventually became West Virginia. And what we know about some of this historical record, some of these soldiers, you never hear anything more about them. Right. Uh, I mean, they, they, right. the only reason we know anything about him is because of the pension records. That, That's correct. Uh, and that didn't come around till the 1800s, right? Yes. yes. So, I mean, he was the, in his 70s or late 60s, I believe, when he applied for his pension. And uh, because of the way he was involved and never actually formally signing an enlistment, being assigned to certain groups or whatever, it was very difficult for him, and, and, and I get the impression a lot of others, to receive this pension. And uh, his son Stephen helped him with preparing this, and there was some confusion about just exactly what he did do, when he did it, but uh, on his pension, he was granted his pension. So he had was able to find enough people to attest that they had seen him at different battles. Uh, one of them, he was a wagoneer, they said. Uh, another one said he was playing the drums. Uh, that's the thing that, that we seem to be confirmed that he, he actually did serve in the Battle of Camden as a drummer. Quickly, like I say, retreated and, and found out very quickly that having a gun would be a lot more valuable than having a drum. <laughs> And uh, apparently he was a lot better with a gun than he was a drum. Well, you had said before, wasn't he like a, he was apprenticing for a gunsmith? Is, yes, is yes. His, uh, his uncle, Thomas Markham, uh, was a, a gunsmith and a blacksmith. And he was a very strict and, and stern uncle and was, was trying to teach him that. So obviously he learned something because he, he eventually did uh, become a very renowned gunsmith in his later years after he retired. And uh, he was very well known for his blacksmith skills. And he was known as the, the Vulcan of the Big Sandy. The Vulcan of the Big Sandy. Yeah, and, and that title has always been interesting to me that, uh, you know, it's on the Big Sandy Fork, the Tug River, uh, near a place called Twelve Pole Creek, West Virginia. Very good. And uh, it's uh, also known as the Left Fork of Twelve Pole. And that's where my Williamson line pretty much originated that, that tied into the Markham line. Oh, it's, a, it's a very backwoods part of West Virginia. Well, thank you so much for that great story of an everyday soldier in, in the Revolutionary War.